0: And Tina gets extra credit for uh, getting all of those names right. Those are not easy. (laughs) Well, this is uh, the big day for the Super Bowl, and I don't see any jerseys or colors represented. Uh, I did see some Saints jerseys back there. Uh, But like I said, I didn't see any jerseys. Sorry. Sorry. And so we don't really have a lot of uh, interest, I think, maybe in just watching the commercials today or trying to keep up with uh, maybe some of the statistics between the quarterbacks or something, but uh, this is a uh, big day for them, and I I think probably most of us will tune in and and stay tuned for a while, because unlike in other years, uh, there hasn't been uh, much of a competition between the teams. Usually one is uh, very much more (laughs) dominant than the other. And I think around here, based on what Monica said and maybe what others have said, uh, that there is a little favor for the Broncos. Is that right? Anybody anybody yeah. pulling for the Broncos? Yes. Anybody pulling for Seattle? Okay. You're outnumbered, Monica. Uh, but no one seems to be too uh, emotional about it either way, and, and that's okay. Uh, but one of the things just in watching them is to, to see what they're going to live up to, right? There's all this hype that's been going on uh, really between both teams, but certainly uh, with the Seahawks. There, there's just this constant uh, talking and, uh, you know, a lot of things that have been said back and forth, even within the team, but certainly between the two teams and the coaches and the mayors of those cities, and it's uh, going to be interesting to see who actually pulls it out and wins, and uh, I'm not betting on it, uh, have, have no uh, risk involved here. But they do. The players uh, have a lot at stake here because the owners have a lot of stake. It's not just about Super Bowl rings. It's not just about uh, commercial endorsements after the game. It's not about uh, the commercials that are involved during the game, although uh, those certainly are um, always fun to watch. But it really comes down to uh, the players and uh, what they have put into this game, all of them have contracts that they've signed with the owners. And so uh, the owners are definitely wanting to make sure that the, the players are earning their keep, that they're living up to all of the money that's been invested in them to get them to this point. And usually what happens by this time is the, uh, the most favored team comes in, and they're so full of pride, and they realize they have done all of this work to get to this place uh, that they get so caught up in the celebration that they don't get out on the field and perform. And before long, uh, there is this landslide of points uh, that is built up against them and they lose. And it's a great example of how pride comes before a fall. As we hear this text uh, today from Micah, and even as we hear the gospel text, uh, that is the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave, we recognize that uh, pride gets in the way. And sometimes we forget what what we are to be doing here in this world, and we forget the contract or the relationship that we have with God. And I think that's what we hear when we hear this text. And and I wish we had time to look at all of Micah. Micah is my favorite prophet. Amos is pretty close. uh, But Micah really is able to summarize what Amos has said and what Hosea and Isaiah have, have said and Uh, spoken as words to God's people. He just boils it all down and gets really tacky with it. Don't you like tacky pastors? (laughs) Tacky preachers? I mean, this guy was constantly getting into trouble. But he was doing what God called him to do. He was saying what God wanted him to say. And as he uh, came from a very uh, humble beginning, and, and we understand that maybe there were two Micahs, Uh, or two different people who were compiling these words together, that both of them, if that were the case, they understood poverty. They lived in poverty. They grew up in poverty and they were surrounded by it. And they saw people within their own religion who had uh, attained all kinds of resources and land and benefits and uh, power. And there was this great divide as always, right, between the rich and the poor. And so God taps on the shoulder of Micah, who is just living uh, with really no identity in his poverty, and says, Micah, I've got something special for you to do. I want you to go and say some things to Israel, because they are totally missing the mark. And this was constantly the case, but certainly in the 8th century B.C., and that's about when Micah is uh, starting to speak up. It's, uh, some people uh, say, about 750 B.C. And there are a lot of things that are going on in Israel at that time. But as we think about the history of Israel, we, we know that uh, God entered into this contract or a covenant with Abraham and, and with all of the people that would come behind him. And it is this relationship about following what God wants to do in the world. And we would call it the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus referred to it as, that they would continue to walk with God. God would bless them as they followed after him, as they lived up to what he had given them to do. And we realize that there were some problems that came along with that. So Micah is addressing those problems, pointing out to them, okay, uh, God has blessed you, and if you look back at, at chapter uh, 6, you can, you can see where all of this is, is laid out. Uh, he uh, talks about, hear what the Lord says, rise, plead your case before the mountains, let the hills hear your voice. This is like a jury. The, the mountains and the hills, they are the jury. They are the ones who have been watching all along. They have been there all along, and they know what the people of Israel have done, but they also know what Israel has not done. And so he is pleading to them. And uh, you, you get the idea that God is on one side in the courtroom, and uh, the people of Israel, they're over here on the other side, and they, there is this, uh, this courtroom scene that is going on. And uh, some would say, well, Israel is going after God. They are the, the plaintiff. But as you look here, it's more that God is the plaintiff against Israel. And, of course, God always wins. Uh, But there is a a lot of discussion going back and forth. Here, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord and you enduring the foundations of the earth. The Lord has had a controversy with his people and will contend with Israel. Uh, What have I done to you, God says, and what have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses, I sent to you Aaron, I sent to you Miriam. Oh, my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. And he just goes to him and says, Remember all of the stuff that I've done to you and done for you? But look at what you are doing and not doing for me. And so God gets a little defensive here. And God says, Wait a minute. Why are you putting me on trial? Shouldn't you be the one that's on trial? And you go on down through here. And as you get a little bit farther, um, verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? This is Israel saying this. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? They're like, uh, yeah, maybe we should. uh, God likes us to burn animals and things on the altar. Uh, Maybe we need to do that. Maybe that will make God feel better about us. Or if we get calves that are a year old. We could burn them. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So we get an understanding that perhaps there have been some human sacrifices involved as well, or that that would be at the top. I mean, that would really please God. And you can see they're, they're just continuing to think about all the, the ritual practices and all the religious things they can do to make God feel better with, with them and to be pleased with them. And then Micah says, He has told you what is good and what the Lord requires. He says it's real simple. Do justice, love, kindness, and walk humbly. With your God, that's it. You don't have to go get your best calf. You don't have to uh, get all of these things and bring them to the altar. You you don't certainly have to don't get your firstborn. Uh, All the firstborn in here thinking, man, that that wouldn't be very good. You don't have to do any of that because God is really not interested in that. God does not require any of that. You've missed the point. God is interested in your hearts. And he's interested in how you treat one another. You've missed it. And so he goes on to hold this uh, case against them for that. And as we hear this, we can come to understand God is really wanting us to hear the same thing as well. We are not that different than those who lived in 8th century B.C., Because the same kinds of issues and the same kinds of needs are right here in our community. And as we sometimes think about what it means to please God and how to make sure God is feeling good about us or maybe trying to find out how God could bless us, we think, well, I've got to do this and this and and this. And then God will um, give me this or he'll like me better or he'll open new doors for me. and, And we just get it all messed up. Sometimes we come to church that way, don't we? We think, or maybe that's the reason that we come to church, because we want God to notice that we have done something for God, right? That God would feel better about us. Now, please don't quit coming, because uh, my, my subtitle to that is, no, God really does want you to come and be in church. But it, it's not so that, uh, it's not for him, it's for you. It's that you might know more of him. But as we look at this, it breaks down real easily into three things that we are to be doing, and those are under the larger category of requirements. This is what God requires. Now, it wasn't about their salvation. It wasn't about them being in a relationship with God. These are things that they were to do and that we are to do because of our relationship with God. And the first one is do justice. It's just as simple as that. They were to do justice. They had all kinds of injustices in their community. Certainly economic injustice, as I mentioned before. Uh, You have all of the the rich and the powerful, and then you have the very poor. You have very few people that are able to be in that middle class or to be in the middle. Maybe they were at one time, but the poor just kept uh, pushing them farther and farther down. And we see that there was all kinds of greed Remember, God said, you know, when you do get to the promised land and when you have all this stuff around you, remember who it is that gave it to you. Remember what it is that you're to do with it. Remember how um, we we read in the Old Testament about uh, when they would lay their crops out uh, and they would reap the harvest, they would leave the corners, right? They would leave all of that so that the poor could come and have food. And yet they still failed in doing that so many times. Just really basic, simple things that would help with economic justice. They also had religious injustice. If you were able to afford a sacrifice in the temple, then you could get right with God. But if you couldn't, if you were poor, uh, you were just left out. And that's why Jesus came into the temple. That's one of the reasons. And he took his whip and uh, started turning over tables and was really ticked off. Righteous indignation because of the injustice of what was going on in the temple. So religious injustice. There were other forms of injustice in in their community in terms of uh, how they dealt with legal issues. And uh, just really the same kinds of things that we deal with today. And what God wanted them to do was to use their power to make sure that they were taking care of other people. Uh, Cornell West has said, justice is what love looks like in public. It's what love looks like when it gets outside of the temple courts, of what it looks like when it gets out in the streets and in the community. That's what love and justice are all about, action, and they had very little action. As we think about this for our church today, we recognize that, no, we are not Israel, but but we are uh, the the church that Jesus Christ uh, called into being. We're a part of that larger body of Christ in the world, and we are called to do justice. We are to carry the light that God has always intended to shine for all nations. And we need to continue to look at, especially right here in our own neighborhood, what are the opportunities that we have in front of us to do justice? One of the first things that we did here at Church for the Highlands was uh, to create a Christian financial services because we recognized there was a lot of economic injustice in this community, Uh, especially with uh, we counted 12 payday loan places within a mile's walk of here, 12 businesses that were preying on poor people and working poor people who would have no other choice, couldn't get to a bank because no bank would be interested in taking them as a customer. Uh, Even banks right here in our neighborhood. They uh, would go down to, uh, you know, Ace Cash down here on the corner and find somebody who was very welcoming and very hospitable and was more than willing to give them a loan at 380% interest. And so we see all of this going on and where people are getting into multiple payday loans, and all of the uh, the trickery and all of the de- deception, all the things that were going on to get people further in debt. Debt that many just never even can get out of. And so what we said is we want to do something about it. We're going to put in an ATM machine just as a simple, soft little step. We're going to start doing free tax preparation. Uh, we're going to make sure that uh, we get some kind of a Banking or credit union institution here so that people can have a, a, a fair chance at being able to start building their credit back and getting a low-interest loan that is very honest and upfront about the terms. And uh, trying to help people get uh, loans for things that, that they need to be able to live and, and to be able to get around. So those are some things that we've done about economic justice, but there is more. Uh, As we think about racial injustice in our community, recently as we had Martin Luther King Sunday uh, over at Evergreen, that was one of the things that we considered was uh, just the racial injustice. It's not over. There is still racism in our community. And sometimes uh, it is uh, very quietly uh, done. It's, It's something that we are able to hide a little bit better than maybe back in the 50s and the 60s, but certainly it still exists. The same thing was true with uh, many of you who went down to city council to say, we need a fairness ordinance because that is a justice issue. It doesn't matter what you believe uh, uh, about uh, the LGBT community. It doesn't matter because they are humans, they are people, they are citizens of this city, and they should not be discriminated against. And so we went down and spoke up for that. Uh, This is something that is falling right in the line of what God wants the church to do to speak up, and to make sure justice is happening in the community. Uh, so it's not just about doing justice, but it's also about, and, and you'll see this defined in different ways, loving kindness or showing mercy. Maybe your scripture says mercy. The, the word is, uh, and we, we, I want you all to practice it together. Uh, it's a Hebrew word, hesed. You've got to kind of cough a little bit. Hesed. Okay, and you can see it there in Hebrew, and uh, it's said it's loving kindness, and it's loyalty, it is devotion. My uh, Hebrew professor, F.B. Huey, he defined it as this. said encompasses deeds of mercy performed by a more powerful party for the benefit of the weaker party. So those who have the most power are the ones with the most responsibility to look after the people who have the least amount of power. That's the way God works. God has all the power, and yet he looks after the little man. And the same thing is true with God's people. We are to look after those who have no power or very little power and help them. And that requires loyalty, loyalty to them and loyalty to God. And God was angry with Israel because they were missing it on both ends. They weren't loyal to each other. They were treating each other in, in ways that were not pleasing to God. And especially those outside of their faith, they were mistreating. And the same thing goes with their relationship with God. They were assuming they had more power than God. And they acted accordingly. We need to practice this as said, in our life as well. You are given one of these, uh, you were given this as one of your requirements as being a follower of God in this world to practice kindness, loyalty, complete devotion. Now, as you think about your own spiritual life today, does that describe where you and God are today? Are you fully devoted to God? Or are you devoted to the things that you can do for God or to what's on the outside? Because God just, that he despises it. Isaiah reminds us of, of that in, in chapter 1. Don't even come to uh, the synagogue. Don't, don't even bother coming. Because you, your heart is so corrupt and it is so uh, out of sync with, with mine. Just don't even have your religious festivals anymore. Just close up the doors because... I'm not interested. What I am interested in, he says, is your heart and your loyalty to me. Micah, he was certainly loyal to God. He got himself into all kinds of trouble. Jesus, as he was sharing the Sermon on the Mount, was sharing the most revolutionary message that those people had ever heard. And he was sitting with the poor. I mean, these were poor people that he was saying, the kingdom of God belongs to you. Blessed are you who are poor and who are meek and who are beaten down. And they had to be looking at each other like, really? Us? We're the future? We're the ones that God loves and the ones that he's going to empower? Yes, Jesus would say, if you want. Show kindness, show mercy, show forgiveness. When you walk by and you see someone uh, who can't get up, don't look down on them. Don't look down on them until you lift them up and you look at them eye to eye. Take care of the people around you. And that's our calling as a church. I think we do it pretty well. I think you do it extremely well. And this is something we must continue to do. Let us not ever get to that point when we think we could sit back and be at the Super Bowl of our lives and feel like we've made all the goals God has for us because there's always a whole lot more. Uh, the final thing here is uh, that God has called us to walk humbly with him. And that's what he was saying to Israel. You are so full of pride, and you have come to a fork in the path. You went the wrong way. You were to take the humble street. You are to go that direction. And what that street would look like when Jesus came along. By the way, Micah was the first one to prophesy about Jesus coming into the world in Bethlehem. And uh, as you look at that, it's, it's just amazing to see uh, how so uh, long before that ever took place, God was thinking about it. And so this this road of humility has a cross on it. And what God is saying is that when you walk in the way of humility, it's not that you're beating yourself up or you're saying how, how sorry you are for who you are and what you've done. It's lifting your head up, but walking with the re- realization that God has a path marked out for you to follow. He says, walk in that way, and you will be doing the things that I have called you to do. What does that look like in your life as you go into this next week? How can you walk with God? Maybe it means sitting and spending some time alone with God. Maybe it means when we have communion here that you are thinking a lot about remembering what Jesus did in this world. What he was willing to do with his own life, his own body. And what he has done for us through his wonderful and blessed uh, resurrection. Think about all of those things. But make sure that you're walking in that. There's so many other ways to walk. But God has called us to a more narrow path. Pastor Kirby John Caldwell said one time, there are two great moments in a person's life. The moment you were born... And the moment you realize why you were born. We have those same two things as realities in our lives today. You know you're born, but do you know why you were born? God summarizes it for us here, Micah 6.8. I went to a funeral for one of my Sunday school teachers when I was growing up at First Baptist Church in Tyler, Texas. Uh, He died this past week. He was, I believe, 81, and I um, put lots of gray hair on his head, I'm sure, uh, when I was his uh, Sunday school student for, I think, two different years in my church. But I I went over to the funeral last Monday because uh, he is one of the reasons that I went into ministry. He was one of those uh, devoted men in the church who uh, worked quietly behind the scenes But he would take us out, and uh, we'd go on, back when churches had visitation on Monday nights, we'd go out, and uh, I remember him, even in the dark, shining his flashlight, trying to find uh, the homes of people who, uh, and I'm horrified thinking of this now, uh, people who had visited church the Sunday before, what you'd do is go out and visit them, knock on their door unannounced, and invite them to come back to church. Now, if I did that to your house, you'd probably shoot me, right? (laughs) And then you'd ask questions. But he would go out and we would we'd go with him, and I learned so much from him. And he would teach us just very clearly what, what the Bible had to say. So I went to his service, and as the, um, the uh, pastor was, was sharing about his life, just in the, in the eulogy, um, he started to share about, he took his Bible. And he opened up his Bible and he was thumbing through it. Not much of it was marked, but he noticed, he he looked at uh, one of the pages, it was uh, dog-eared, and noticed that there was something written out beside the verse in the margin. Micah 6, 8 is what had been highlighted by my Sunday school teacher, Joe Blaylock. And again, here are the words. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Out beside that, he had written the word "requirement." And he lived up to it, quietly, yet with every bit of justice, devotion and humility. What's in the margin of your Bible? What have you written there? And what will others be able to say about you? Let's pray. Our God, we give you thanks that you are a God who is so willing to provide your grace and your forgiveness for us. You are so willing, even as we take you to court, to be able to extend that grace and that mercy, to show us justice and to show us Uh, Your loving kindness that is so faithful and to show us through your son.